What's happening? This is Poder Podcast. Your host, Sergio Lagunas. On this podcast, we feature influential and powerful leaders with their own unique stories on art, music, education, and influence. So listen to these stories to find out their source of poder. What's happening? It's another episode of Poder Podcast. With us today, very special guest, all the way from the Bronx, originally from Chicago. We got Rod Stars and G1 from Rebel Diaz and their DJ, DJ Illinois. Hey. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Tell us, guys, wh- where do y'all come from? Like, what is your origins? What is something you like to share with people? Uh, pieces, Rod Stars. Um, you know, we, we, we all met we from Chicago originally. You know what I'm saying? Like you said, uh, Rebel Diaz is born in 2006 when uh, we moved to New York in 2004. So after about two years of putting in work, we started off as Rebel Diaz officially. So as a group, we've been rocking on, going on 13 years. You know what I'm saying? Me and my brother, uh, G1 is my brother, right? He's my, so we, we fan, we've been doing uh, music since we was kids. Uh, I got into hip-hop to breakdancing. G started making beats. Um, and DJ Illinois, I grew up with. So that's like, you know, a homie from back in the day, from high school era, you know? Um, so it's, it's Rebel Diaz is definitely, I feel like, that we represent family. We represent community. Uh, and, and we definitely represent resistance. You know what I'm saying? Me and my brother G uh, were originally from Chile. Our families are from Chile. We're products of exile, of, you know, survivors of the first 9-11, which is September 11, 1973. It was a CIA-funded military dictatorship uh, in Chile that overthrew the government of Salvador Allende, the democratically elected government of Salvador Allende, which had a government that ran under the, the idea of popular unity. They were a socialist government. Um, and when he started, you know, redistributing the land and the wealth, the gringos came in. You know what I'm saying? Uh, at the request of, of separate, you know, multinational corporations, the Anaconda Copper Company, but also because they had, you know, the CIA had their own plans to make Chile literally an experiment for the economy that we have all over the world today, which is neoliberalism, right? The idea of privatizing, um, you know what I'm saying? Um that everything of privatizing everything pretty much but also doing it under an uh, iron fisted rule mm. and that iron fist was Augusto Pinochet who the CIA funded and they implemented you know uh, the system uh, and it was backed up by University of Chicago economists like Milton Friedman and so definitely you know what I'm saying we, we come from that resistance our parents were members of a revolutionary organization called El MID El Movimiento de Izquierda Revolucionaria our dad was a political prisoner before we were born. Uh, Mr. Reason, I was born in England. But at the same time, you know, we that's our history. But we also have that identity of growing up in the 90s in Chicago where there was house music, where there was hip house, and then there was also hip hop. And uh, we grew up in that context, you know, of, of at home being like the warm, you know, loving space of revolution and resistance and in the streets being a space of survival, violence, but at the same time, hip-hop. 
Um, and so I think that really kind of summarizes our roots, where we come from. I don't know, G, you want to add to that? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's I think, the, the foundation of who we are. You know what I mean? As Rebel Diaz, our, our time has mainly been spent in the Bronx, in New York, where we uh, were able to build uh, with the community there to, to build a community center. You know what I'm saying? And that was a work that we put in for years in the Bronx. That was, spot was eventually shut down uh, by federal marshals uh, in New York. Um, and then from there, we also did some time doing some journalism work with Telesud. Um, and now we're in the space also being fathers as well. You know what I'm saying? So that's been like a, a, a trajectory that there's also looking at how we, you know, what kind of culture we putting out now as fathers, as, as family, you know. Um, but that's, that's uh, I think, that the gist of where, where, where we're at, you know what I'm saying, and where we come from. All right. How about you, Illinois? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm first uh, first generation born uh, in the States here from uh, my dad's from Mexico and my mom's from Puerto Rico. So I, I, I kind of, my vision is that of being the first to be born out here, obviously, you know. So, and also I think uh, my main thing is uh, uh, I like to share everybody's uh, music. Music is a universal language, so that's what I'm at with. And for all three of you, how did you get into hip-hop? See, when I was... At a young age, all I heard was rock. You know, I grew up in the, in the beach town of Oxnard. Everyone listened to rock. And it wasn't until my little brother showed me Chicano rap. I was like, oh, what is Chicano rap? Uh, it's like, what are they talking about? They're all from L.A., from San Diego, or from the Bay Area. It's like, who are these guys? So when I was searching through MySpace back in the day, 06, 05, 07, something like that. And I was looking through artists. Like, I want to learn more about some artists that are out there. I found Rebel Diaz. It's right? crazy. I found Rebel Diaz, and I saw when you guys were uh, were a trio, and you guys were, uh, you know, upcoming uh, move before you moved to to the Bronx. I was following your story, like, oh, these guys are cool. I'm just gonna add them to my top eight <laughs> for my for my music page. I did a little bit of hip hop myself, uh, freestyling, and I just wanted to learn from people that are out there making action. And when I saw that y'all started a, an actual center for the youth, that's when I got more like, okay, I'm going to follow their music. Uh, so can, can you tell us more about how did you get into hip-hop? Where did that start from? Um, you know, it's crazy. For me, I remember just seeing breakdancers in Chicago. I had to taste Chicago, on the trains, you know? So that was my attraction initially. Then there was graffiti all over Chicago, too, in that era, 90s. Rooftops were bombed everywhere, you know? And uh, I, I don't know, for me, hip-hop, I got into it because it was something I felt like I belonged to it. I don't know how to explain it. Like, it was something that you you were like, even by the way other homies dressed, you would like, I remember even they, people would walk up to you and be like, what's up, you hip-hop? Like, it was something that you were. You feel me? And so, like... It was, it, 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 in many ways, I think that, like, the rebelliousness that our parents instilled in us, um, you know, you reject everything a lot of times what your parents tell you, but a lot of it, I felt like my version of what their rebellion was was what I saw in hip-hop, you know? And then I got into breakdancing, and it was, I fell in love. It was like a sport. Every day, we would breakdance. Every day, in morning, you know what I mean? Like, I just got immersed in b-boy culture. You know, and it's bugged out because now that I'm older, I look back and it's like, there's nothing more organic and organizing than like B-Boys that, you know, we had practice. It was discipline involved, dedication, 
um, almost a militancy in a sense of like, yo, I'll be there every day at 4 p.m. in the back of Waveland Ball. We're going to practice and dance for hours. We would sneak back into school to break dance in the hallways of our high school because the floor was fresh, you know? And the janitors loved it. They would just let us because they like watching it and they, they knew that we were in a safe space, you know? So for me, it was that. And then I think that what I've always carried, right, and I think G can attest to too, is that B-Boy culture was also super, like, teamwork, crew. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so I think that, like, even Rebel Diaz, we've always carried ourselves as a crew still to this day. You know, and we're three of us, but when we had our collective space, we were, like, 25 deep. You know what I mean? Like, we were deep. And... And there's also quality control that comes with that crew. You know what I mean? Like, I believe in... I like the competitiveness of hip-hop, too. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not gonna lie. Like, we push ourselves. Like, there's times we recorded music and I... Like, yo, we not feeling that. We got to try something else. You know, it's got to be dope. That's like the essence of hip-hop culture, too, is standing out. You know what I mean? You do graffiti, you want to do a big old feeling so everybody sees it. You know? And so I think that even with rhyming, like, we're not doing battle raps, but we're definitely trying to keep that freshness, you know, up. And I think that that's, that's, that's been the energy, always keeping ourselves, you know, staying on our toes, making sure that we put out dope music. Um, but at the same time, music that says something that has a meaning that's going to also stand the test of time. But hip-hop to me, is that's, that's my life. What about you, G1? I was trying to be like my older brother. Of course. <laughs> Ah uh, man, uh, for me, you know, I, I was a uh, my bros. I was seeing my bro doing b boying and seeing his crew, and again, even just you know, like you said, I don't, I don't believe you need more people. Like seeing when you have people, seeing him rolling with his crew, um, it was just like, yo, you want to be a part of that, you know? what I mean, you want to be, uh, and then like we were mentioning earlier, talking with some of the students here, uh, you know, the gang culture was is is deep in Chicago. And so how can you be, like, not a, a victim or participant in that, in that gang culture and but still have a crew and still have people to roll with and still have, you know? Um, so I think that I, I kind of absorbed some of those values as a younger bro. And from there, I started, man, I discovered that I could... I had a little, a little a mini-disc. Uh, my, my mom had a friend that hooked me up with a mini-disc. And mini disc was like the little the thing it never really caught on the mini disc. It was like in between CDs and tapes, but you could like record on it, you know. And boom, I added a keyboard, and then I discovered you could, you know, take records and 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 these records that my parents had, which were, you know, all the nuevos, nueva canción, you know, Victor Jara, Mercedes Sosa, Silvio Rodriguez, Pablo Milanes, um, all these you know folk singers that were really a protest culture. Uh, you know what I'm saying it was about poor people about empowering workers and students um, and so kind of like while I look at it now at the time I didn't even you know it was just these were the records that were at the crib like alright these got some nice guitar sounds on it or man this this sounds like a cool melody that I could you know flip into something else and it was cool because at that time nobody really taught me it was an organic thing kind of being like oh I try to make something out of this you know what I'm saying um, from there it just man it took off for you know, a lifetime of like producing music, you know what I mean? Um, and eventually working with my bro also. At first, it was like, ah, oh, the little brother trying to try to come with the beats, you know? And, uh, but eventually we, you know, in, in particular when we made it to New York, 
was when it was like, yo, this is something that we could do together, you know, and not just do together us two, but also involve a larger community, you know, and I think that's where the, the, the work of the community center followed, where it became more than just, you know, what you're rapping about um, and more about what you're building, you know what I mean? And, and to me, that's the essence of hip hop. Like, it's not about romanticizing, you know, the we still had, you know, and even in I said a hip hop, even in that old school song, you still had talking about color TVs and this. There's always been a certain element of like materialism or certain toasting to the good life, you know, in the culture. But um, in its essence, uh, it's about taking up public space. It's about collaborating. It's about getting your crew together. It's about having an organic organization. You know what I mean? And so for us, I think that our work in the Bronx, we learned by doing. That, it, that, the, that the culture of hip-hop is is MCing, is DJing, is b-boying, is b-girls, is, you know, uh, the graph, the knowledge, um, and also just that process of working together, you know what I'm saying, is being to create and build things collectively. Yeah, let's hear from DJ. <laughs> I should become a DJ. Yeah. <laughs> well, I became a DJ, honestly, um, when I was super young, I had a, 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 my parents would always be at work, um, and they would always leave me with the babysitters, which lived, uh, they lived downstairs in uh, the apartment my parents lived at. And her son uh, used to always DJ all the time. And I would always, uh, literally, I was like four years old at the time, I was just watching them and watch them for hours. And they would just trip out me just watching them, you know. They were like, he's quiet or whatever, like, it's crazy. But then, I didn't, it didn't really come back to me until I was like 12. When I hit 12, I really got into music, like into the, the whole hip-hop era. That was about, yeah. And um, I had an old, my friend's older brother had a pair of turntables. So every day after school, we'd go run across the street and practice before he comes home. Because he obviously went to the same school. <laughs> so we would just practice before he came home. And then we just, you know, sneaking him for about a year we did that. And then from there on, I just kept kept with the hip-hop and everything. And the same thing, like they said, um living in uh, Albany Park in Chicago, uh, I thought everybody did the same thing as in like, you know, everybody was breaking, everybody was writing, everybody was, you know, and, uh, and not until I was like uh, 17, I moved out to Birmingham, Alabama that I realized that everything was so separate, you know. I thought everything was the same like for my neighborhood. I thought all neighborhoods were like that. I was listening to your music and you have incorporated as a group uh, the Spanish language into your music. Uh, is it because you're trying to reach out to Latin America, let the message be uh, heard more across the globe? What is your messaging with, uh, and what, how did you incorporate the inclusiveness of the language, the lenguaje, the español? Whenever I would try to talk to my bro in English at the crib, my mom would say, en inglés no entiendo, en inglés no entiendo, me están pelando, like, which I try to roast on me in English or something, you know, telling us in Spanish, like, and so I think that, and it's funny now because I, I have a two and a half year old daughter that I'm like, I, re, I, ha, I remember I have that, that voice in my head, like the, you know, habla en español, you know, and I'm trying to raise her first to speak Spanish, you know what I'm saying? She's going to learn English in the world eventually. Um, but is that, I think that one of the things that we had to be thankful for is that at the crib, um, you know, that was a, something that was, because a lot of people lose it and it's, it's just real. It's part of, you know, part of the, assimilation culture here in the U.S. and part of the impositions of imperialism is that, that you lose your culture, you lose your language sometimes. And uh, for us, we've been blessed that we've been able to hold on to it enough that we can string words together and make ideas and raps and rhymes just as well, if not better, than in English, you know what I'm saying? 
So, um, and it's been good too because it allows us to connect with our Latin American family. You know, it's it's the universal in terms of we don't feel like we separate from that. Uh, you know, that idea of Nuestra America or America Unida. Like we consider ourselves part of that diaspora. And, uh, you know, part of the same, part of Turtle Island, Abla Yala, whatever you want to call it, is, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's something that we want to speak to and we're not going to achieve that in English, you know what I mean? Um, and this last record that we put out is all in Spanish because before it had been, you know, a bilingual piece and that's also like a, a culture and a language in and of itself for folks that can navigate both languages, you know what I'm saying? But um, we intentionally made a, this last record that we made uh, almost 100% Spanish with the idea of being like, you know what, we want to make sure that the folks, you know, in the South are understanding us fully where we're coming from. Even though, and we speak in Spanish, but also our experiences are not from Latin America. Our experiences are, you know what I'm saying, growing up Latino in the U.S., you know what I mean? I mean, we, we put out an all-Spanish album called America versus America. We intentionally wanted to speak and have more of a conversation with our people in Latin America. In the last couple of years, we've been in... We toured Venezuela, Brazil, Puerto Rico, Chile, you know. We just spent a month in Chile touring with Chico Trujillo, a really amazing cumbia band. Our first single on the album, the Ana Tiju, one of the, you know what I mean, more well-known, you know, MCs in Latin America. And, and you know, like my brother G was saying, we could do it. So, you know, why, why would we not speak to a whole continent, you know what I'm saying, of people? So for us, it's blessing... Um, I think it threw some of our English listeners off, like, you know what I'm saying? Right, but we right. got some for them ready, ready to go as well. But more than that, it's just been that. Just literally just been wanting to have a conversation with our people like America. And you know what? It's crazy because a lot of people in the U.S. speak Spanish. For real. Mad people, you know what I'm saying? And so, like, we, our, 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 our fans here in the U.S. that speak Spanish, they, they received it well. Like, okay, that's what's up, you know? So... Yeah, but we weren't. We weren't. We 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 knew what we were doing and putting out a Spanish album. We wanted. We wanted to have that convo with our peoples. In my experience, listening to Rebel Diaz, I one of my favorite old time songs is Canto. Canto. El por eso que yo canto. canto yeah. It was just like yeah, that's that's totally <laughs> it. That's totally it. Yeah. And I was talking to some folks because uh, when I when I went to college, I I studied English, yeah. but really I studied hip hop. I just yeah. did the English classes to pass my classes. Yeah. And when I was studying hip-hop on my own, and I was learning, man, everybody defines poet in a different way. And when I heard Gunther, I was like, oh, Rebel Diaz, Rod Stars, yeah. defines poet, I believe, through that song. And like, this is why I do this. Yeah, that's yeah. what's up. Tell me about why, uh, why you do this. Why hip-hop? Why not another type of art form? Bro, I you know... I'll be real to put it in the most transparent, just simple way. Bro, I throw my headphones on and I hear that boom bap and that hip hop beat. And it's like the it's like the beat of my heart, bro. It's like the rhythm I walk to. It's that simple. You know, it's the the mannerisms that I speak, the way I the way I move, the way I think is hip hop. Everything is that I think encompasses hip hop is is just, you know what I mean, what my life has been. And and uh I know that may sound kind of abstract, but it's just, that's what it is, bro. You know what I'm saying? I don't feel like that same connection when I listen to other music. What is your opinion on the status of the movement that you touch on in, in your workshops and with, with the younger crowds? Uh, you know, w between songs and your concerts, when you preach the word about hip-hop, where do you see that 
the movement going? Or where do you see where I think that at? in 2019, the conversation has shifted to the right so much, you know? Like, the folks that are the resistance now are like the Democrats, you know what I'm saying? It's crazy, it's crazy. I think we've stuck to our politics, though, you know what I'm saying? And uh, But I also feel that the more... The further we're removed from the history of resistance of the Black Panthers or the Young Lords or the Chicano movements, you know, or even, you know, the Cuban Revolution, stuff like the more you're removed from that, the more radical you're almost seen to be. You know what I'm saying? Like if you're like a relic of the past, then that's the result of there's a fascist wave going on in the Americas and North America and the U.S. You look at. Bolsonaro in Brazil, Macri in Argentina, uh, Piñera in Chile, you know, Colombia has always been, you know, they got like 11 military bases, new military bases. You know, they're trying to overthrow, try to have a military coup in Venezuela. Like, you, you see that there's a wave. And I think that people have been silenced so much. Like, bro, I think about it like in 2006, and I'm sure you remember, there was his historic immigrant mobilizations in this country. Yeah. Yeah. million people in L.A., 500,000 in New York, 500,000 in Chicago, yeah. 13 years ago. What happened? That energy got swept up by the Democrats and into Obama 2008 presidency. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so I, I say that because, you know, 2014, the Ferguson Rebellion, uh, Baltimore Uprising, 2014. What was the result of that? Uh, Donald Trump presidency you know and that's what we're living now we're living historic moments B and I think that you know it's it's crazy but I see young people more and more like there's like a liberal progressive type politics that are going on that are that are not really pushing the agenda as revolutionary politics from my perspective you know and I think that if we settle for crumbs we gonna always be hungry as a people so I think that you know we all I think though at the same time the fact that we've stayed on our on our message has also allowed us to be around as long as because we've been consistent. Like this is what we about. We're not gonna switch it up for no music labels, for no nonprofits, for no college money. We're gonna be who we are. And I think that uh, you know, I believe in being on the right side of history, firmly. I feel like we gotta uh get off of uh academia and words and uh analysis because it leads to paralysis. There's a lack of action going down sometimes where we where we 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 just keep doing the same thing over and over again. We're going to the protest, there's another somebody else getting killed by the police, another hashtag, you know, and I think that it starts with being able to start building even if it's building a little smaller and taking a a, lo a little bit more time. You know what I mean? I think that even though we are in a race against climate change and all these, you know, kind of apocalyptic things that come up at the same time we also have to understand that building trust, building organization takes time, you know what I'm saying? And we need to start building those coalitions, you know what I mean? Because identity is important, who we are as individuals and our history uh, and being rooted in that. But at the same time, uh, if we don't start to make those bridges and connect, we're not going to ever defeat the oppressor because the oppressor is not just going to give it up because of a moral, you know, uh, a moral conundrum they may have. There is no morality in it. And so... I think that also as we will progress within our politics, we realize that there is a certain level where, you know, the the oppressor is not, not going to give it up just like that. And so we need to start appealing to their morality and understand that we have to start building alternatives from the smallest institutions 
to you know the basic needs of our survival, our our housing, our food, and and what social and community and family networks uh, help us survive. Yeah, I feel like you all are very passionate about what you do, and I feel it in the music, and I hear it in your words and your lyrics. Uh, when it comes down to it, in in our in this podcast, I always have to ask, uh, what is your source of poder? Where does that inspiration come from? What moves you? You know, as bugged out as I, I used to always answer that question, and I still feel that firmly. You know, I feel like I walk with my ancestors. I stand on the shoulders of all the desaparecidos, you know what I mean, in Chile. I carry that history on my shoulders, I feel. I stand on their shoulders, but I also carry it. But it's bugged out. For the last four years, I've been a father to an amazing four-year-old, and I feel like uh, he's also my source of poder now because he's the future, you know what I mean? So I feel like it's bugged out because for years, my source of poder was the past, and I feel like now my source of poder is the past and the future. And I also think it's, it's kind of bugged out, but I also think it's important to see the poder that you have, you know, within yourself. You know what I mean? And I say that in the sense of, like, we are survivors, bro, of, of different types of trauma. You know what I mean? Whether it's political, whether it's beef in the streets, whether it's, you know, and I think that, you know, there's, there's a certain drive that, that comes from living oppression that, that makes us rich. You know what I mean? We're poor as far as our class but we're rich as far as our history, you know what I mean? And, and, and that to me, all that, all that together encompasses power. That's poder, you know? And I also believe in my community. You know, I believe in the idea that poder isn't something solely individual. Poder is something that's poder popular, you know what I'm saying? That's people power, you know what I'm saying? And I think that that's the ultimate goal, is for that poder to be distributed amongst the masses, you know? The goal should never be to reach poder as an individual. The goal is forget to have community power, poder popular. I think my uh, source of poder also is definitely rooted in my family history, knowing that those that came before, not all of them made it in, in the struggle for a different world. Um, and then also knowing that that enemy uh, still exists and still is present and pervasive in our everyday lives to this day in 2019. And you see that in the repression, uh, even of some of the more progressive movements here in the U.S., the, the shift towards the fascism that's going down, that's exposing the racist nature of this, of this colonial project uh, here in the U.S. Um, and so... I definitely I, I take strength in that and knowing that there is an ability to make an alternative. And then also not having a child, uh, I take strength in knowing that there is a world for them to live in. As it was wild, I was doing the math. I'm like, damn, my shorty was born in 2016. That means that if she lives to be 84, she's going to live to see the year 2100. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, that's just a wild like idea of what the world is going to look like in 2100. You know, you're going to have cities that don't exist anymore because of, of, of water rising and, you know, who knows the type of conflicts that are going to emerge as a product of that. Um, and so to me, I'm like, you know, there is, there is, and then also realizing that it's not just about your shorty, but it's about how can we take that love that's, that we express in our inner nuclear families 
and have that function outward in the world. You know what I'm saying? Because in the outward world, only speaks to the language of power and violence. But that's because that's what the oppressor has taught us and has imposed on us. And there are alternative ways of dealing with each other. You know what I'm saying? And building connection and building community. And so that family is no longer just, you know, two individuals with a child or a couple of children, but family becomes you know, the neighbors, the, the extended blood family, the people that share a cultural, political affinity, you know what I'm saying? And so for us, I think, and for myself as a, as, a, as a cultural worker, I feel like it's my role to make cultural products and cultural uh, uh, events or, or productions that are towards that goal of creating that, that unity, uh, that sense of family and collectivity. What about you, uh, DJ Illinois? What is your source of poder? Um, my source of poder is uh, brothers and sisters, uh, youth, future, and uh, definitely music. Mm. All that is, I mean, it's, there's a connection between all of them, you know? Like, even with the music, you know, timeless music, you could, same struggles from back then, it could be the same struggles from now, you know? Which is, I guess it's another way of like history books. For me, I guess, but that's what gives me power. Great conversation, and you know, I really want to thank you for being here. Uh, I just want you to to share a little bit more on what are your concluding remarks uh, for today's episode. You know, we talk a lot about hip hop, our origins, and about uh, thinking in a way that we empower ourselves because we already have the power. And but, what do you want to leave our listeners with? Big words and lofty ideas are no match for our everyday human interactions. And so I, I, we just came off of being here in school uh, at a university where a lot of students are being, for the first time, fully immersed in the language of social justice, or at least in the academic sense of it. Um, and a lot of times, and I myself feel included in this, where you have access to a certain level of knowledge you know what I'm saying, and and terminology, and then you try to bring that back to certain spaces that you may have grew up in, and it's hard to translate that. You know what I mean? It's hard to, to talk about misogyny and capitalism, sexism, ism, 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 isms. Um, but those terms are more fully understood when they're practiced, you know what I'm saying? And which point, it's not necessarily about whatever word you're using, but it's about having an all-encompassing way of relationships amongst ourselves that is reflective of an alternative culture, a culture where we respect women, a culture where we uh, value um, music, art, contributions to, to social movements as integral, you know what I'm saying, to those movements, uh, a place where um, we have respect for our neighbors and our families, you know what I'm saying? And I think that, again, that's done through our everyday practices, how we treat people at the store, how we, you know what I'm saying, deal with a waitress or a or a cashier, or, you know what I'm saying, all of that, you know what I mean, I think it's, it's about acknowledging that universality of, of working people, and the fact that we all struggling to make it day to day, whether we have the language, or to deconstruct capitalism, imperialism, or not, you know what I'm saying, we still in that, in that same struggle. I mean, to me, is then we gotta redefine success, capitalism makes your success, or the idea of it, almost based on how good you do at joining them how good you do at being obedient and behaving and following 
the structure that's placed to you as the path to success. You know what I'm saying? And I think that if we're not talking about success as community success, you know, we're falling into the trap of capitalism, which is, you know, I'm going to do it because I, you know, I got skills and I got drive and I got hustle and, you know. So then we got to redefine success, not necessarily like leaving the hood, staying in the hood and building it from within. That's real success. The concept that you're not rich unless your homies are rich. You know what I mean? And it don't got to be rich in the sense of economic power, but in the sense of community power, you know. Um, and, and, and then what we always say, you can't just oppose, you got to propose. If all you're doing is just being against things and, you know, and I say that because right now we're in the midst of a strong case of call-out culture, you know what I'm saying, which is whatever, it is what it is, you know what I mean? I think it's a result of social media, of a lot of interaction that isn't face-to-face, -face, that's behind a screen, so people are bolder. I right, so if, if you against something, what are you for? And what's the project that you're working on? Because everybody can have an opinion. But if you're not working towards something, towards a project, towards a goal, you're just opposing. What are you proposing? So I, I think that those two things, redefining success and uh, having proposals that'll change the world. I always say the ideas are bulletproof. Um, I got a couple of things. Uh, make timely music and people power. So I'll leave you with Facts. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, brother. Thank for you, man. Shout out to the Poder Podcast. Right. What's up? Yeah. Doing your thing. Thank you for listening to Poder Podcast, the podcast con poder. I am your host, Sergio Lagunas. Music is produced by Brian Navarrete. Please follow us on all social media channels, including Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can listen to us on Spotify, and you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, this is Poder Podcast. Poder.